Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the History Hit Warfare podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers. And in this episode, we are marking quite a remarkable anniversary. Back in 1981, a group of women marched from Cardiff in Wales to Greenham Common RAF base in Newbury, England, over 100 miles to protest the holding of US nuclear missiles on British soil. Gradually joined by women from all over the world, they formed what became the Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp. They stayed there for almost 20 years in what would become the largest, most effective women-led protest since the suffragette campaign. Now, to mark the 40th anniversary of that march, I'm joined by Jill Raymond, a.k.a. Ray, who lived at Greenham Common for 16 years, and author Rebecca Morden, herself a Greenham child, to discuss discuss this remarkable history. Enjoy. Hi Rebecca and Ray, thanks for coming on the History Hit Warfare podcast. How are you both doing? I'm thanks, yeah. Yeah, good. Slightly frazzled by exciting event prep, but yes, very good. <laughs> Yeah, so it is great to have you on because we're marking the 40th anniversary of the start of the Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp, which began as a group of women marched from Cardiff in Wales to Greenham RAF base in Newbury. And I've done my calculations, I've gone onto my Google Maps, and I've seen that that is over 100 miles away. And am I right in thinking that you are going to be doing this all over again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. Well... Some of it, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we've got about at least 200, probably more than that now, women signed up to do either the whole walk, probably about 50 women doing the whole walk, like, all the way, and then about two or 300 other women who are doing different sections, particularly busy leaving Cardiff and entering Greenham Commons, the beginning and the end, really lively, but hundreds of women signed up overall to be with us on and off all the way through, so it's going to be, yeah, really interesting. That's going to be amazing. Have you uh, both been able to put much training into this? Not enough <laughs> training, no. <laughs> I don't think there is enough. You can't practice 10 days in a row because you're doing all the prep to start something that you have to do it for. But I have been doing, I've been trying to get in like six miles and 10 miles and 12 miles. But there's going to be days where we do 16 miles and then 17 miles the next day. And I'm just a bit like, I am a bit worried about that. I'm worried there isn't enough plasters in the world to get me through that. 
So the original march took place, was it over four days? So that was quite a pace that the original women's march was going at, or was it a little bit longer than four days? No, it's the same length of time that we're doing it. We're leaving the same on the anniversary when they left and we're arriving. Actually, I think we do arrive a day earlier. They stopped in Newbury and we're not stopping there. We're going straight to the common. But no, it's the same amount of time. And then we arrive on the anniversary of the weekend that the camp was set up. Over about a week? It's about nine or ten days Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'd say that's a good pace, but um, you know, I'll check in with you as you get round to the 8th, 9th or 10th day. <laughs> See how pleased we're feeling with ourselves then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure it'll be amazing when you finally arrive. And what a way to mark this pivotal anniversary, this 40th anniversary. And Ray, you were an early member of the camp. So tell us, when did you first join and what motivated you to get involved? Well, I was involved with a local anti-nuclear power protest at Tinkley Point and also a local peace group, which was set up by two ex-services CND members. They were an elderly couple, but they knew the military inside out and were in a very good position to critique it, really. So it was a combination of those two things going on. And with the peace group and the anti-nuclear movement, we started doing coaches up to Greenham to welcome the walkers. And I came and went more and more and more. And eventually I bought an old MOD van to live in so that I could live at camp full time. It's a bit of an irony there. You bought an old MOD bus to live on an MOD camp. I mean, that seems like a little yeah, bit Yeah, it's into plowshares. <laughs> it's called Swords into Plowshares. Swords into plowshares. Oh, wow. Did you still have it? I feel like this is an iconic piece that needs to be somewhere. No, no, I don't still have it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can imagine the service history on that. It must have been quite expensive to keep running after a bit of a while. But what inspired you to join at that particular point in time during the Cold War? What events had happened that meant that the women had marched from Cardiff and that you'd established this camp here at Greenham? Well, the march was the event, really. You know, that march went out on the CND Peace News notifications and being in an ex-services CND-led local peace group, we must have heard of it through that. So the march did really lead a lot of the initial involvement. And all of this, of course, was around those triggering events, which were the basing of American nuclear missiles on British soil. That was the key part of the protest, wasn't it? Not to have these missiles on British soil. Well, yes, that was uh, hugely triggering for people. And I think it made a lot of people who were already questioning the impacts of the Cold War, the proliferation of nuclear weapons, it brought a lot of those people together. But it wasn't the only issues at Greenham. There was also a strong feeling that the common should be given back to the people. You know, it was supposed to be one of our last big pieces of common land and it was being used by the military illegally, both our military and then being lent to the Americans as well. And so there was a lot of women's, a lot of the Greening women were campaigning to see an end to the military occupation of common land in our country. And also they were also making the link, I think, between the sort of state of oppression that they felt women lived in, particularly very different time 40 years ago, although I would argue there's still a lot of work to be done to deconstruct patriarchy. <laughs> but they were making a connection between women live in a state of oppression and often violence, and then we live in a state that also proposes violence and keeps us in a state of war with other countries. So they were looking at the correlation between domestic violence and state militarisation as a part of the problem 
of a state that is only run by men. And certainly in the 80s, that was a real concern. You know, the only women in parliament, you know, were secretaries. And in the government and in, in most businesses, it really was a very different time. Although, again, you know, we're still struggling, aren't we, to get past a third of our parliament, even now, being only women and represent... We haven't got 50-50 representation or whatever. But certainly there was a big part of what the concern of the camp was, was we need to be equally running this world because this world is not being run very well by the boys that are doing it at the moment. Yeah, I think that once we all arrived to welcome the march and get onto the common, then we got more information about the fact that it was supposed to be a temporary fence that was there for the Second World War. And in the 40s, it should have come down. But, you know, that wasn't even on people's consciousness until we got there. And then we started to learn the facts, like how they've been there for another 30 years. And this is how it ended up becoming a permanent camp, I presume. How was that decision made? And how was the decision made to make this a women's only camp? I mean, there was a call out for women to come to a big meeting. Initially, it was women and men that were camping by the main gate. And when you talk about violence and doing non-violent direct action, women's experience of violence is very different from men's experience of violence. So obviously not all men, but 98% of the perpetrators of violence are men, not all men, but women are almost never the perpetrators of violence. So our experience of violence really was part of the debate and part of the problem of having men at the camp was that they were more likely to respond violently with the bailiffs and the blockading and that. And then there was just the thing of they don't do the washing up, you know. (laughs) My background in talking about Greenham is partly from this archive that we put together that the book comes out of, all these hundreds of women that we interviewed that Ray is Ray is one of my favourites of and is in my book a lot but quite a lot of the women talk about that fact that the men just wouldn't contribute on a day-to-day level to the running of the camp they sort of expected everyone all the women to carry on sort of taking care of them as if they were all still at home and in their marriages and the women were like we've got bigger things to do here and several women talk about it and one of them is Peggy Seeger who just talks about it really beautifully as well and sort of says you know we weren't there to carry on the mode of operandi that we all had in our dissatisfied marriages we were there to start something different and we just thought you know what we can't be looking after you as well if you can't chip in and make this community work and help look after yourselves We've run out of patience of looking after you and doing that here. We're going to try and do something else. And my dad has a memory of going and visiting because he was a supportive member of the camp that my mum was involved in it when we were young. And he remembers having the walkie-talkies taken off him and any men because the men just wouldn't leave the walkie-talkies alone, whereas the women would just use them when they needed to communicate. The men would constantly be doing, like, impressions of Black Hawk Down and things. And so it ended up being like, well, the boys can't have the toys when they're at Greenham. They have to just go and make the sandwiches and run the creche. I mean, to be fair, that sounds like what I would do. You give me a (laughs) walkie-talkie and you end up doing endless impressions. I was doing it the other day with my six-year-old nephew. Yeah. So um, I completely understand this. This makes perfect sense to me. So you you were there from a, from a young age, Rebecca? Yeah, I didn't live there. My mum took me for visits when I was five, when we lived nearby, and she and my dad were members of the local CND. So I was part of Embrace the Base and things as a very little girl, which I can remember. And we did other pop-up peace camps. My mum got arrested for sitting down in front of Margaret Thatcher's car when she was trying to get into the base. Yeah, they were brilliant. And my dad had to take time out of his busy life as an advertising exec so that she could have her day in court and look after me. And we could we got really excited when she came home to hear how, how she hadn't told the judge whether she was married or not and how brave she'd been and things like that so yeah it was a big part of my childhood 
Oh, wow, that's amazing. So your mum was a bit of a hero to you as well, and as was the cause. So this makes perfect sense while we're focusing on this book at this time. This is a part of you, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. And particularly since my mum has died and other women that I know from the peace movement and from Greenham have died. And I was noticing that other women younger than myself had never heard of Greenham. I felt very passionately that we really couldn't afford to lose this piece of living history and, and what an outrage it was that it was just going to go quietly into the grave with these amazing women because our culture wouldn't record female achievement. But of course, that is still very secondary. You know, it isn't a part of me in the same way that it is for someone like Ray who moved there. And in fact, Ray, I think you were there right until you towed out the last caravan, I think, didn't you, at the end of the camp and things? At Bluegate, yeah. I mean, I did come and go an awful lot, but I tended to be there more permanently during the winters, especially once I got my truck, because in the summer we did get an awful lot of visitors from all over the world. And in the winter, we didn't get nearly so many. So in the winter, it was much more a case of bums on seats because it was really hard in the winter. And I had a van, so it wasn't quite so hard. But also we didn't have vehicles. People didn't have vehicles nearly so much, especially women. We didn't own cars very much. And so having the van made it easier for bailiffs. When the evictions happened, things could get piled in the back of my truck. Or if we needed to go for water, I could carry quite a lot of water containers and then just drive off. You know, I wasn't ever in any fear of having my vehicle impounded in the way that if you're in a tent, they'll just drag everything in the contents and put it in the muncher to go to the tip. And how violent did it get on camp? Ray, was there many cases, and we've seen the photos, I can remember the photos that you see that are iconic and symbolising of Greenham Common, of women being dragged away. Was that a frequent event? What were the highs and the lows of life in camp that stick with you? There was violence from a lot of different sources, actually. And so when you've seen those photos, they were for big blockades, and they are what we'd call announced actions. So the police are all forearmed. You know, we've done press releases. We've got the media with their cameras so they can take photographs. And to a certain extent, I don't know whether that held back the violence from the police. But compared to the bailiffs arriving at eight in the morning in the winter, surrounded by police that were protecting the bailiffs from being really violent, I think that's another form of violence that we experienced. And then there's another form of violence that we experience, which is basically, again, the more invisible to the public violence, we never got photos of this, was we had a lot of vigilantes. So sometimes, you know, they come by in the day and shout. And we tried to keep records of some of the regular vigilantes, the vehicles, local people, they absolutely hated us being there. And part of that was that we were women only and that the defiance in that really irritated a lot of blokes. But also some of the vigilantes were definitely squaddies, not in their uniform, and they would come out at night. So one of the rules that we quickly developed for men coming to camp was that if supportive men could come in the daylight to bring us firewood or food or whatever, they might bring us tarpaulins. And if they came in the daylight, we knew that they were hopefully going to be friendly. But after dark, If men were approaching the camp, we knew that they were not supportive. So that's a whole other form of violence. And they drive by slowly in the middle of the night and throw things at the caravans or the tents. 
So, yeah, it was violence on all sides, really. One of the things that local women who didn't live at the camp but supported it, they would bring obviously bring food and they'd come to the big organised demos and things, but they'd also come and do something called Night Watch, which was where they would take a turn, basically, to sit up all night around the tents. And they particularly did it when women had perhaps come out of prison or when there'd been a big action. So sometime when women really needed specific rest, they'd put a kind of call out down the telephone tree and other women would come in and do a couple of nights of Night Watch. And that would be what the sort of thing that my mum would do. And then you'd basically bring friends and you'd sit around the women's tents who lived there to be like awake all night, chat to each other, let the women sleep and basically be there to kind of handle or try and talk down anything that happened or hopefully, you know, move women if it was necessary and just show that people were awake and there was people at the camp and have a presence. And there was a lot of women that did night watch like that, which I think is really... And it was another kind of way in which the camp was almost like a university of life. It's another one of those things where my mum and her friends talk all the time about the nights they would sit up at Greenham and suddenly all realise that they all had shared experiences as a woman of being oppressed that they perhaps had never vocalised before and certainly never had another woman go, oh, my God, that happened to me as well. Or I was also, you know, I suffered rape or abuse or I don't get paid for that or I've never had that kind of job. Or, and it was just like the way in which it basically brought so many women together and kind of the way that Greenham touched so many thousands and thousands of women's lives, even if they didn't live there, they were sort of being politicised and informed and connected by it in a way that we see in movements like Me Too and things but obviously 40 years before and in real life and sitting there all night bravely and companionly together guarding the even braver women that lived at the camp. And to sort of develop on that, Becca, one of the sort of really big catchphrases was green and women are everywhere. And mm. that meant, James, that green and women didn't have to be living at camp to be green and women because it would have been impossible without those networks across the country and especially to do big blockades. Honestly, it was incredible. Sometimes there'd be 40 coaches come from one city. If you love ancient history, then don't worry. We've got you covered. I'm Tristan Hughes, host of the Ancients podcast, the podcast for all things ancient history. And these are the only surviving boxing gloves from the Roman Empire, and the earliest surviving boxing gloves for over 1,600 years. So through this material, we're actually looking at this entangled sum of hundreds and thousands, in fact, of stories of life across ancient Eurasia. Part of Cleopatra. I had never come across any such thing before. Subscribe to The Ancients on History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That is incredible. How many people were there during the summer and how many people were there during the winter? Do you go from hundreds to handfuls? Is that the kind of fluctuation you had? Well, I mean, the, the part of the fluctuation is reflected in the number of camps that there were around the perimeter fence. So sometimes there were seven different camps at seven different gates, which is why the colours of the rainbow got developed. But sometimes if you were at Orange Gate and there were only four women there and you had vigilantes, actually you packed up and you went and stayed at Green Gate instead. So it was very, very fluctuating, really. But I have to say that once the cruise missiles had left in 1986, it was like we weren't there. We didn't get any press. CND pulled out. People were told that we'd left. The crews have gone. The women can go, except for a few radical bits of newspaper articles saying the crews have gone. Why haven't the women? But mostly the support just disappeared then. And that's when... You know, you can understand it, campaign for nuclear disarmament. The crews had gone. That was the nuclear missiles. But the whole land rights issue had focused a different form of interest and support or lack of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Multiple aims. But you achieved one major aim in those cruise missiles leaving. And one thing that the trailblazing women of Greenham are known for were their clever non-violent forms of civil resistance, protest and civil disobedience. And therefore, it's even more disconcerting and shocking to hear the levels of physical violence, but also psychological violence that you would have had to go through when you don't know who is out there in the darkness as a kind of vigilante form of trying to intimidate you to get you off the site. But could you tell us some of the ways in which you did try and protest, the ways in which you did conduct these non-violent forms of resistance? Well, again, this developed as the years went by. And because there were so many women involved, it was an ongoing negotiation about what forms our civil disobedience took. So for Quaker women who are totally pacifist, using bolt cutters to cut the fence was not acceptable. And initially, I was at the silos action on the New Year's Eve and we used ladders because that was the consensus. We're not going to cut the fence. So women got over into the base by using ladders. But that conversation developed, especially those nights of sitting around the fire. And you could be in an affinity group that didn't want to use bolt cutters or you could be in an affinity group that was quite happy using bolt cutters. Part of that is reflected by the level of charges that you would get if you were arrested. So if you go and spray paint a wall plane or steal 
documents out of the office. That's like criminal damage and that's state security. Those are big charges. But if you put a carpet over the top of the fence and climb over, that's a trespass offence. And so that was partly self-selecting thing as well. I absolutely love hearing the machinations of how it all got discussed and in that kind of leaderless lateral organisation. And um, I just think you can see the creativity and the communication that I don't think, I think what's really interesting about Greenham is that I don't think that had been used for a long time in this country before. Women certainly weren't taking up space in socialist and the peace movements at that time. And then ever since, it's such a massive part of what we see. You know, everything that XR do, you know, all those big theatrical creative protests and all of that leaderless lateral action and nonviolent direct action, it's in all of the campaigns that we now associate with the kind of nonviolent creative left that are taking on like climate change and militarization and things and anti-globalization. And it's just really fascinating. And how fascinating that something like Greenham can be so significant, so influential and get so little credit. Yeah. I find that very interesting. If it had been run by men, we'd all be talking about how it comes from there, whereas we don't talk about that at all. But actually, that is exactly the recent history that it comes from. Do you think that there are, are legacies of the Green and Common Women's Peace Camp in those protest movements today in a really tangential manner? So we can talk about, of course, the practices and the structures. But those who are involved in these contemporary peace movements or in Black Lives Matter and in women's marches... Have you found that there is a direct link of being inspired by the women at Greenham? Not in the way there should be, because most no. of those people don't know that yeah, Greenham exactly. happened. They don't know. They yeah. have no idea. Yeah. So they're using practices, even things like flooding the courts, which XR took on a couple of years ago. And there's mixed feelings about how well they did it, but they certainly did it. And that's a very Greenham tactic. But actually, in terms of like, I think actually the women's movement particularly has really suffered by not knowing that Greenham existed and, and being able to draw their own conclusions and lessons from what they feel worked or didn't work about that. And because all that happens with women all the time is that we have to reinvent the wheel. We aren't getting into the vehicle that's already been made from us and improving it and giving it wings and blah, 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 like all the best period products in the world. But, you know, we're not sort of building on what already exists because we don't know it exists. So one of the things that's so important about the march that we're doing, I think, and the book, is that the whole thing, I think, is women inspire women. Even if it was purely commemorative, we should commemorate these things because we can't learn from them. And you don't have to agree. You don't have to go, right, I'll do everything like that. And society's changed a lot in 40 years, and frankly... The laws with which activists have to deal with now are very different to the laws that Greenham women had to deal with because a lot of those laws were made up to deal with Greenham women and all the inventive ways they were <laughs> causing mischief and civil disobedience. But I do think that it really stymies women's development, the fact that if you don't even know that women did all these things before you, you can't look for the bits that would work for you, you can't change the bits that you do differently. One of the things that I'm just saying to people all the time now is just talk to older women, really talk to older women. There's a lot of trust to be built up between generations, I think. And older women have got a lot of experience that you were just missing out on by not talking more to each other intergenerationally as a movement of feminists. And I think that is playing into the hands of a patriarchy that enjoys us being divided. And I really want Greenham, the celebration of Greenham to be something that brings older and younger feminists together. 
See, it's really interesting. It's like, it's like an intellectual history or an institutional memory that needs to continue over into the next generation to learn from the mistakes and the successes of the past, what works and what doesn't, what keeps people on side and what really exudes that political pressure to get things done. Because some of the controversies around XR, which is Extinction Rebellion, is that they are perhaps too violent and too disruptive to society and aren't managing to get the public on side for their so incredibly important cause at a time of global climate crisis. What would be your message to those out there that are pushing these movements forwards and actually an ever-relevant time to be continuing these protests at a time when the UK government are looking to invest, I believe, increase the nuclear stockpile by another 40% under the Boris Johnson government. So is there a message out there that we can give to the next generation of protesters, Ray? You know, one of the things that I'm more recently thinking about from doing all these interviews is totalitarianism. And that refers to there were lots of women, we had different aims, we had different tactics, we had different motivations. A lot of us weren't pacifists. You know, we would support armed struggle, we supported the Sandinistas. There was no groupthink. We allowed for a lot of differences. And that was a big strength. And that's what really enabled such a wide variety and huge numbers of women to be involved. And another thing that you do by confronting your worst fears, really, you know, nuclear bombs were our worst fears in the 80s, is that you empower yourself by dealing with your fears. Once you've been pulled about a few times, been up in court, you stop being frightened of those things. I had a really interesting talk to a friend of Ray's today, actually, a woman called Ruth, who was telling me that she used to run acrobalance when she was at Greenham, acrobalance workshops for women, to basically just show them how strong their bodies were and how they could take each other's weight and how they could lift each other around. That that wasn't the preserve of men to be able to do that, you know, really to break down that inner concept of being the weaker sex, I suppose. And I think that actually women trusting their own bodies is still a massive issue. And she said that someone wrote to her afterwards and said, it wasn't until I was standing on your shoulders on Greenham Common that I realised that I didn't need men to lift me up. And I will never forget that now for the rest of my life. Thank you so much. And I just thought, that's amazing. Women have to lift each other up and that has to be through discussion. We have to disagree sometimes. We have to have each other's backs. And I think we have to know that you can be non-violent and extremely powerful. And that's a message for all activists, you know, don't become the thing you hate. Positive change is completely possible and often very successfully women-led. Rebecca, thank you so much. I think that's such an important point to finish on. And also this embracing the ability to argue with each other, to disagree, and to embrace difference as well. We don't have to stay in our own silos, if you will. <laughs> yes. I've been saving that one. <laughs> Take down all the fences. <laughs> Take down all the fences, exactly, Rebecca. Now, tell us, where can people buy the book and what's the book called? Ah, the book is called Out of the Darkness, Green and Voices, and it's by the History Press. It's out on the 2nd of September, so it comes just before we walk with our bleeding stumps onto Greenham Common <laughs> after this great long march. <laughs> this sounds fantastic. Good luck to both of you during your march. I wish I could be there, but I can't. But also, it does sound like a very long distance. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thanks, James. You have all of my moral support, I promise. 
<laughs> Excellent. We'll consider you a pro-feminist ally. <laughs> I'll take that. Pro-feminist ally. I'll take that title. Thank you both so much for coming on the Warfare podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much for having us. Cheers. Bye, both. Yay. Cheers. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hip. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.